On September 11, 2001, Diana Haley was a high school junior in deep lower Manhattan. She was only five blocks away when the second tower collapsed. As she watched the horrific events unfold, she would never forget the frantic words she heard next. A policeman was yelling at her and her friends, run, run as fast as you can, run north. I'm Charles Morris, and thank you for joining me on a new episode of the Great Stories Podcast. As we think about the 20th anniversary of September 11th this week, I wanted to take the opportunity to revisit some of the most poignant conversations that I've had with survivors of the 9-11 attacks. This just in, you were looking at a, obviously a very disturbing live shot there. That is the World Trade Center, and we have unconfirmed reports this morning that a plane has crashed into one of the towers. I just saw a second plane come in from the south and hit the south tower halfway between the bottom and the top of the tower. It's got to be a, a terrorist attack. A hijacked plane crashed in Pennsylvania this morning, not far from the West Virginia border. I'm on a plane that's been hijacked. I'm on the plane. I'm calling from the plane. I hope to be able to see your face again, baby. I love you. The tower is down completely, according to our producer. The side of the tower has come down on the street. The resolve of our great nation is being tested. Make no mistake. We will show the world that we will pass this test. God bless you. Those are just a sample of some of the sights and sounds heard in the morning of September 11th, 2001. They still bring tears to our eyes, don't they? At the World Trade Center alone, we know that 2,763 people died when the planes slammed into those buildings, and the buildings crumbled. We also know that there were 343 firefighters, 12 police officers, and 37 Port Authority police who died trying to rescue those who were trapped in the buildings. To say those numbers gives me pause for thought, as I'm sure it does you. And when you stand at the memorial today, like I have, all of their names are written around the footprint of each tower. But many more survived that day than were expected. Thankfully, Nayana, who I mentioned when we began, survived. But 20 years later, the wounds are still fresh. Terror attacks continue to take place around the world, which is why I feel it's important to hear stories of hope from some of those most affected. And that's what we're going to do in our time together. We'll hear from people like Pastor Tim Keller, who was in New York City and feared many from his church had died. We'll also hear from people who were in the Twin Towers and at the Pentagon when they were attacked. And one of the stories of hope is told to us by well-known Christian artist and painter Makoto Fujimura. I asked Makoto to explain to me what he saw on 9-11 as he was working in his studio in Lower Manhattan, just a few blocks from the World Trade Center and how the Lord ministered to him. Well, 9-11, the morning of 9-11, I was organizing a prayer group of creatives, artists, and on Upper West Side. So I left fairly early in the morning, mm -hmm. and I remember calling a friend in L.A. as I was going down the steps to get into the subway and looking up at the towers. It was a beautiful, clear beautiful, day. Beautiful. Actually, the, it was this azure sky, um, blue 
very much like the pigments that I use. And I was mm. thinking to myself, you know, this is the sky is really mm. this deep, um, uh, unforgettable mm. color. And um, I went up down my wife's home. It was the first day of school. Mm. And so she was going to take the kids to a school, which is two blocks away. Mm -hmm. And uh, my eldest um, son was at middle school, which is across the highway. Everything was all set. And then we heard there was an accident. So I came back down to the same subway stop. But um, of course, that's when the towers were collapsing. And then 45 minutes later, they backtracked to uh, 14th Street. And mm -hmm. that's when I came out. And by that time, the towers were gone. And you're I, thinking of your wife yeah, I and had, your children. I, I, I had no idea what happened. Or My studio was no, located north of where we live, about 10 blocks north. So I decided to go there first, and my wife had left me a message saying that she would mm. meet me there, mm. and the children had been evacuated. You couldn't go home for I, a while. We couldn't go home. I, I didn't know if my home was standing. Mm. We stayed in the studio for a day, and next day we were able to sneak back in and, and collect uh, your uh, yeah. some belongings. Right, that's right. And we were able to get our car out of the garage before the gas leak closed everything down. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so we were very fortunate to, um, our place was spared, we were spared. Um, and um, there was, it, it was, I, I consider it really a miracle. There was damage that actually uh, entered your street, I think. The one of the plane engines fell right in front of our. <laughs> in front of your house yeah and almost hit, hit a pedestrian and we didn't, we didn't see that but that's that's what we heard yeah mm. what does jesus mean to you today 10 years later oh well um i mean jesus was present when i walked down seventh avenue not knowing my um, family is okay um and i was just the other day i i had this lunch with my daughter and we decided to walk home from soho it's about two miles, but so we were coming down, and and I realized as I turned on Hudson Street and went back to Adolft, that was exactly the path that I took that day. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I walked that path with my daughter, and mm. and I remember praying, you know, God, if it's if there's a way that I can have trust here, um, that I would see my children grown, you know, that was my prayer, <laughs> and. As I walked that path, my daughter, beautiful daughter, is standing next to me, walking with me. <laughs> and mm -hmm. there's nothing I can say to her, um, except... How can you just, even tell no, your daughter I, I what you're I, thinking? And I, I, I would not. And, sure. it, and yet, it was, it was Jesus reminding me that I am here for you. I'll never leave you. Mako, thank you. Sure. That's Makoto Fujimura sharing about his experiences on September 11th. For George Slay, it was just a normal Tuesday, just like Makoto's was as he traveled from New Jersey to the 91st floor of the North Tower in the World Trade Center. Even when he felt the first plane crash just above his office, he didn't yet know how bad it really was. Later, he would learn that no one made it out alive who were on floors 92 and up. He was one of the last to get out. George shared his story with me. My office just disintegrated around me. All the ceiling tiles came down and the light fixtures. My bookshelves crumbled and came on top of me. I just dropped the phone, knelt forward in my chair, covered my head, and prayed to God to save me. 
I remember you're telling me almost 10 years ago that your office uh, was pretty much intact other than everything falling off from where it should have been, but that wasn't the case in the rest of your office. No, actually, as I, I crawled out of my space and I looked around, actually all of our windows were still intact. Uh, the floor above us was safe. It was, there, was no, there was no gaps in that. There was no smoke, no fire. Everything seemed to be relatively okay at that point. Mm. And at this point, you probably just thought it was an accident. You didn't think it was an act of terror, did you? No, absolutely not. I just assumed it, for some reason some pilot had gotten off course and it was an accident. You and your co-workers uh, on the 91st floor, the last floor where anyone made it out, you decided somehow that you needed to get down and out of the building, didn't you? And tell yes, us yeah. uh, about that experience. Well, there were, there were actually three stairwells uh, that we could use to, to evacuate the building, two of which were blocked, and the third one was blocked above us. But was, uh, there was a small amount of debris on the, on the stairwell going down, but we moved that aside and we were able to process down there pretty quickly. It was well lit, it was dry, and um, there was no panic because no one ever thought those buildings would come down. Hmm. So you found one of the stairwells that you and your coworkers decided you should get down and 91 stories and and uh, were you passing others uh, w- was there great fear no actually no everyone everyone seemed to be very calm a lot of people hadn't realized of course that it was a plane they just thought there was an explosion somewhere in the building mm. it got quite crowded uh, as we got further and further down of course yes. but again there was no rush everyone was just taking it out taking the, the time to to go down in an orderly manner you got to the bottom and uh what happened you, there wasn't there more smoke in the air when i stepped out of the stairwell uh, at the bottom um i could see outside now for the first time and saw saw the the devastation that had occurred all the um, marble facade of the lobby was on the floor i could see outside for the first time and i could just see piles of debris and uh, small fires burning. It just looked like a war zone. And, mm. I, of course, then I realized that this was far bigger than I had first anticipated. And I started to walk out uh, in the direction that I was uh, pointed out to go. And uh, there was a large explosion. And um, it was behind me and to my right. And as I, as I ran away from that direction, this blast just caught up with me. I was involved in a large, large cloud of dust and dirt. And... Um, I really thought that was the end of my life at that point. Mm. And again, for the second time that morning, I just called out to God for his help. Mm. It's still hard to talk about, isn't it, George? Well, you know, um, I've talked about it many, many times since then. So, I, yes. um, But it's still there. I, there's not a day goes by that I don't think about it. And thank God that my life was spared. Mm. It's interesting. Uh, so many people that were there uh, had what's called post-traumatic stress syndrome. We've had people on this program, Christians who suffered from nightmares. I remember you're telling me the last time we talked that the Lord had spared you from the nightmares, but it was still on your mind every day. Is is that still the case? Yeah, this is true. I, there's not a day goes by that it doesn't occur to me. But um, I have never had a nightmare, mm. not once, not once. Mm. Well, praise God for that. And we're, we're going to pray a little bit later for people who did have nightmares and maybe a few still having nightmares. Uh, how did you finally get out? And you told us you were injured uh, after coming out of the stairwell, uh, your leg, as I recall. But uh, uh, how did you finally get out? Well, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize at the time that I, I was injured, I was able to... Um, I, I got together with two of the men who were in the same situation I was in, and um, 
together we called out in the darkness of where we were, and finally someone heard uh, our voices, and um, we walked towards where this voice was coming from. The gentleman there directed us out of the building. We walked away, and um, I didn't look back. If I had looked back, I would mm. have realized that the explosion that I experienced was actually the South Tower collapsing. Mm. And uh, we, I walked out in the street, and we, we were ankle deep in dirt and uh, dust and papers flying around. And as I got further away from the building, a police officer stopped me and pointed out to me that I needed medical attention, which I was not aware of. Hmm. But my right pant leg was soaked in blood, and um, he got me into, into an ambulance right away and off to the hospital. Hmm. What about your wife? Uh, what uh, Did she realize that she almost lost her husband? Well, initially, she, uh, she was working in her office in New Jersey, in the doctor's office, and uh, the first indication of a problem she had was when our older son, Stephen, called her from London. He was very distressed. He couldn't, he couldn't even talk, and she thought something was wrong with one of our grandchildren, and he said, no, it's Dad. And she said, well, how do you know about Dad? You're in London, and I'm here. And he said, no, there's a plane has flown into the World Trade Center. And she just thought it was a small plane. There were often a lot of small planes buzzing around the building, helicopters and such. Yeah. And yes. uh, she tried to reassure him that I was okay. And in fact, the words that she used was, don't worry about Dad, he's resourceful. <laughs> and at that, he just couldn't talk any longer. He just hung up the phone and, um, and uh, found out later, of course, that I was okay. George, tell us how you got the word to your wife that you were okay. You were taken to a hospital by an ambulance. Yes, I was. I was. I went to the hospital. They they took care of my wounds. Just a couple of surface lacerations in my right leg and a deep cut in my left ankle. They took care of that very quickly because they were anticipating a lot of casualties that day. And uh, then they discharged me just about the time that the North Tower collapsed. I think they sent me into a waiting room and I just sat at a phone trying to get a dial tone to call out. Of course, the, the phones were very very busy at that point. She didn't answer the phone actually when I called her office. When she did come to pick up the phone, she said, I have to put this on speakerphone because I have 10 people standing around my desk wanting to hear your voice. And uh, I was able to share her the good news that uh, I was okay and would be home as soon as I could be. Lolita Jackson was in the towers just like George Slay. Several years ago, I asked her to share her story with our Haven Today program. I was working for Morgan Stanley and had been at that time since 1992, so I was also working there when the bomb hit the buildings in 1993, so mm-hmm. that sort of sets up the story. So you'd been through this once, you thought? Yes. Okay. Um, in fact, most of the people I was there with that day had been through it, which probably actually save our, saved our lives. Mm. My department had a standing staff meeting every Tuesday morning at 8.30, so mm-hmm. we were all together in the same room. In fact, some people had flown in from other places in the country for that particular meeting. So there were people with us who actually didn't even work in the buildings, probably about 20 of us together. It was my turn to speak next at the meeting, and I'm not a morning person. (laughs) So I was sitting there staring at my coffee, and then I was staring out the window daydreaming because it was such a beautiful, gorgeous day, as you often Mm, hear. The sun was shining, yes. It was beautiful, not a cloud in the sky, the bluest sky you could ever see. And I was staring at the other building, and I happened to be looking at the other building at the moment it got hit by the plane. The way the buildings were situated, I could not see the plane, and I know that was God's grace to not see how large the plane was, Mm. but I did see the other half of the building, which was um, impacted by the plane, obviously, and the explosion out of the fire, and then the, the papers dribbling down from the building. Obviously, we realized something major had happened, but we thought maybe it was just a prop plane. We just had no idea how large the plane was. Always those little planes flying around the World right. Trade Center in the old days. and exactly. Right. Statue of Liberty, sure. So we thought maybe it was an accident, but then 
the fire was so big, it just we didn't really know what was going on. And because we'd all been there in 93, my boss turned around and looked and he said, it's time to go. Wow. That's all he said. It's time to go. And Morgan Stanley was the biggest employer in the World Trade Center, right? Yes. We had almost 20 floors of the South Tower and almost the entire number five building. So I took the elevator down with everyone else. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were on that floor when we got hit by the airplane. And when we got hit by the airplane, we were on a floor with no windows or the windows were so narrow you couldn't see them. So God shielded us from seeing the plane coming toward us, for mm-hmm. one. And number two, we really didn't know what happened to us. But the building moved about five feet. It didn't mm-hmm. shake, it just moved. And it felt like it was falling over. So for me at that moment, I said, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die. Just you felt like you mm-hmm. were about to be killed. God overwhelmed me with a sense of peace. And for the first time mm-hmm. in my life, I said, if I die right now, I'm gonna be okay. Cause mm-hmm. I'm gonna go to heaven. I'd never viscerally felt that before. For a reason, too. I felt burdened by that because, when, especially because my friend died and I was mm-hmm. the last person who saw him alive. So I was struggling with, God, why did you keep me here? Why have you saved me through this twice, having gone through it in 1993? And now, what is my call and purpose for you? But God um, gave me the promotion I always wanted. And sometimes they say that the worst thing that can happen to you is to get what you actually want. And in that case, that's what happened because other things that came along with getting that large promotion made me realize that that was not what was going to solve my issue of not being as happy. Um, so I eventually, two years later, took a sabbatical and God basically told me to not look for a job, to not worry mm-hmm. about it. And I actually became poor again because I only expected to be out of work for a year, but I was actually out of work for a year and eight months, which mm-hmm. is a very long time in New York City to not have income right. because I was not getting unemployment because I actually had quit. Mm. So literally, I had to live off whatever savings I had. And, and this is an expensive place to live, right? It is. It yes. is. And, you know, the Lord just would make a way. Like, you know, I just didn't know how I was going to go on and pay my rent the next month. And then mm. something would happen. I would be asked to sing somewhere or I would be asked to write something or whatever. Or one time, a phantom stock certificate came in the mail for $750. And I thought I'd sold all my stocks. So God mm. just said, keep believing. Mm. And it felt like he had to rip away everything. I'm going to take everything away from you so I can build you back up to what I really want you to be. And I firmly believe that because I am 180 degrees different than I was before as far as mm. my um, you know, commitment to the church and, and how involved I am in lay ministry um, and just the rest of my life, even how I live my life, is just completely different than before. You've served as a deaconess in your church. You're, you've uh, gone on mission trips to China. You're a jazz singer. And, and you work for the mayor of yes. New York today, <laughs> yes. Mayor Bloomberg. What lessons? Lolita, can all of us learn, whether we live in Wichita or or Hoboken or L.A., uh, what are the lessons that any of us can take from that that you went through? Even if you go through suffering to a point that you feel you can't tolerate it anymore, that God is with you through all of that, and he puts you through that Mm -hmm. to draw you closer to him. There's a line in the Psalms that I just really turn to after 9-11, and, and it's, weeping may endure for a night, but joy will come in the morning. And I've had some weeping in my life, both in my early uh, life where it lasted for a number of years and through the 9-11 experience where it was very immediate. But God is always lifting me up through those experiences, and I'm a much better person for them because it actually helped me as a deaconess to have gone through all of those things, mm-hmm. to be able to help the people in need and be able to, to minister to them and say, you know, God is with you through all of this and you're going through this um, for his reason and during his season, but you're going to come out so much closer to him and so much more appreciative and blessed by uh, what he can do in your life. Mm. Alita, 
thank you very much for joining us here on Haven today. Lolita Jackson sharing how she made it out of the Twin Towers alive on 9-11 20 years ago this Saturday. Just across the East River from the World Trade Center, the congregation of Brooklyn Tabernacle lost more people in the Twin Towers attack than any other church. Jim Simula was the pastor. And I want you to hear him relate the unimaginable story of how Christ showed up for someone named Janelle as the tower she was trying to escape collapsed while she was still inside the stairwell. Well, our story is, uh, when you say there are many other stories, there are, but there's no story like Janelle. There's no story in, in the last hundred years like Janelle in our country I, that I can think of. Janelle was a young lady uh, living with her boyfriend and uh, visited our church, unbeknownst to us, came like every other week a few times, would hear the gospel, would hear the message of Christ's love and his atonement for sin, and that you can have a new beginning, you can be born again, you can have a new start in life. And it convicted her, because she knew she was living wrong. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit uh, made that real to her. And, but she wasn't ready, as she thought, and she said, you know what, manana, some other time. She, mm-hmm. Her background is actually from Trinidad, mm-hmm. Tobago. And uh, she just went back to same old, same old. And, and, and then she'd come again, and she'd weep. And she'd cry, and, you know, this is what I need. i got to get my life right mm. with God. But not yet, you know, not yet. Well, she was working in the North Tower. She went to work. She was on the 50, 60th floor, 50th floor. And boom, impact is made. <laughs> and she starts down with this crowd of people walking single file, walking out. Terror, smoke, fear, emotion, and, and walking up. Our firefighters, EMS people, uh, police officers, not knowing what they're walking Mm -hmm. up into. Mm -hmm. And she's going down floor after floor after floor after floor. And around the eighth floor, Janelle, her high heels are digging into her feet, walking, 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 all those steps. And she says, I just got to step out of the line for a second onto the landing and kick off my high heels and 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 just go down barefoot the rest of the way i can't take the pain Mm. and as she's kicking off her shoes she hears like a train coming above her and the world trade center north tower comes down on top of all of them wow and she's thrown into a one in a billion air pocket covered with rubble but a beam lands and stops over her head blocked by something else her her feet are crushed by debris and she hears one scream in the darkness and then nothing else. And as she's laying there, the hours go by, she remembers what I had preached on and about the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he is faithful to save everyone who calls upon his name that's sincere and repents and puts their trust in him. So she gives her heart to the Lord, repents, puts her faith in Christ, hmm and says, God, save me. Why didn't I listen to that preacher? What, what was I thinking? And day turns into night, and night, she goes through the night laying there, and then she begins to pray, God, if you would only get me out of here. She gets this faith. God, if you would get me out of here, I will tell people as long as I live about your mercy, your love, your grace. 
And 27 hours after the World Trade Center came down, they dug away the rubble, heard her voice as they called down mm. looking for survivors, and they pulled her out. And she appeared at our church uh, a month or so later, and it's kind of humorous looking back mm. on it. And she walked in and said, I need to talk to someone. I'm a new believer. I want to be baptized. Well, then tell me your testimony. <laughs> well, she gets halfway through it, and he's crying and mm. weeping. <laughs> he brings it to another pastor, and the other pastor says he breaks down. So two pastors come in to my office with her, and I just sat there and said, Oh, God in heaven, how in the world could this happen? So we were visited in many ways. There was sorrow. There were funerals. There was rejoicing. There was the assurance that we knew where our former members were. But it's a moment indelibly etched in my mind, and you just asking me these questions have brought up some of those feelings I went through back then. It brings it back all over again. Pastor Jim Cimbala, Brooklyn Tabernacle, thanks for, for joining us here on this special week on Haven Today. Thank you for having me. Not too far away, another pastor, a friend of mine for a very long time, Tim Keller, knew that he must have lost parishioners in the World Trade Center. He was the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan. On the day of the attacks, he took a few minutes with me to offer hope to our listeners as he was heading out the door, heading to Ground Zero, to minister to his traumatized congregants in New York City. How do I see God's hand in all this? Well, right away, that whenever a tragedy hits, God is saying to anyone who sees it or feels it, you need me. Life isn't safe. You aren't competent to handle it. It's not possible. You need spiritual resources. Human ability isn't enough. That's true if it's a natural disaster. It's true if it's a, an act of human aggression like this and so on. That strikes me because this summer I studied all 150 psalms for about five weeks. And the one thing that just struck me, oddly enough, was how unsafe a life these writers were having compared to me. Another thing that we have to keep in mind is that there are tremendous disasters and tragedies like this happening all the time, constantly, but they're happening to small groups or individuals. Suddenly a, a young mother just drops dead of a brain aneurysm and leaves three children behind. That's happening every day. This is just a tragedy, a horrible tragedy, an example of the brokenness of the world. And as a result, we start asking the questions that we really should be asking anyway all the time without it in any way trivializing the horror of this situation, this sort of thing happens to people all the time every day. This is the, the life we have. We have assurance as Christians uh, in two ways that other people don't have. One is that God says he's going to end this someday. He cares about this, that he's doing something about the brokenness of life, and someday disease and aggression and war and all that will be over. And the second thing we know is in, though we don't understand completely exactly how this works, he is so committed to ending the brokenness and the suffering that he entered into this world and experienced the suffering as Jesus Christ on the cross. So though we do not understand why he hasn't put an end to it yet, we have an assurance that actually no other religion has, and that is that God is not aloof from it. <laughs> he is so committed to seeing it ended and he is so concerned about it that he would be willing to actually participate in it. There's no other religion that even claims that God has that kind of uh, involvement and concern about our suffering. And that doesn't help that much 
uh, in, immediately uh, as, uh, as the suffering comes on me, and yet it keeps me afloat. It doesn't get rid of the pain, but it keeps me afloat to have those assurances that it's going to be over someday and that God has paid the ultimate price himself in suffering in order to see that day come. Of course, New York City was not the only place attacked on 9-11. Terrorists took control of another passenger plane and flew it directly into the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. Pastor Tom Joyce was a captain in the U.S. Navy. He was stationed in the Pentagon when it was attacked. I served as one of the deputies for Naval Aviation. Our office was up on the fifth floor in the D-ring of the Pentagon. And... As everybody knows now, the airplane that came in, uh, came in right through our section, which was the brand new wedge that had been renovated in the Pentagon. And that airplane hit between the first and second floor and penetrated from the outer ring, which is the E ring, all the way through the C ring. Uh, Actually came right underneath uh, my office and my desk while we were in there. So Tom, how did you first determine that something was terribly wrong? Well, we have usually televisions in the Pentagon that are either put on the CNN or Fox that we kind of watch around the clock, keep an eye on that as we're doing our work just to keep abreast of the world events. And somebody next to me had come over and said, did you hear an airplane had just hit the World Trade Center? I grew up in New York. My dad was a New York City policeman for 37 years, so I was very familiar with New York City, and I'd been up in the World Trade Center, and I just imagined that maybe a small Cessna Piper Cub had run into the the World Trade Center. I gave it very little thought, and this person came back over to me who worked for me and said, no, you need to come see this. And we went in and watched it unfold on Fox News, and as most other people did, we saw the second airliner hit the second tower live. And my immediate thought was, it's got to be some kind of a coordinated attack. Right, yes. So then it was only just a short period of time after that what happened. It was within the hour. Uh, I remember standing by my desk and I was looking out the window towards Arlington Cemetery thinking what a beautiful day it was. Selfishly, I'll admit it, I was thinking I need to go out for a run. Uh, I need to go over and run around the monuments, just kind of clear my mind. I know I just need to think through what I just saw on television, just spend some time praying. And I was standing right next to the window when the airplane hit. it immediately kind of lifted up the building, it seemed to, and threw all of us that were standing back about five or six feet away from the window. And immediately on my way back, I could see that huge orange fireball coming towards the window. And the thought went through my head that this is it. This is how it ends. I mean, mm. it's going to happen this quickly. Mm. In that split second when you saw that orange fireball, did you in any way relate that to what you had been watching on television in New York City? Again, we didn't know it was an airplane. Uh, In fact, my first thought was that must be a bomb, maybe a truck bomb. The Pentagon, the the location where we are, was relatively close to a four-lane highway that runs between the Pentagon and Arlington Cemetery, and all I can imagine was a truck had come by, broken through the barrier, and gotten that close to the building. Hmm. Quickly, though, the, the building filled up with very heavy, dense black smoke that those of us in aviation can relate to burning jet fuel. We then determined it was probably an airplane. I want us to talk a little bit more about uh, just what happened and what was going through your mind as not just a Navy captain with a responsibility to your country, but also as a responsibility to your Lord. Tom, you saw this orange ball come in. The building was actually raised up from where you were sitting or standing at this point. And uh, what happened after that? 
Well, we had about 150 people, uh, officers and uh, some civilians that work for the Department of the Navy that were in our office. And I knew immediately, uh, I could just tell from the fire that we were in extremis. We needed to get those people out. The smoke had come in through many of the broken windows and was very, very thick. And so we had to get every one of those people out. There was only one way in and out of the office to get them all out. And we knew about where the impact point was. We could see the fire raging just outside some of the broken windows. And so we had to act very quickly. So a couple of us who were the senior officers in the office started the evacuation. We had a couple of people that were hurt pretty severely from some of the flying debris. It was quite a few injuries that we had to get them taken care of and, and get them down to medical attention. So we just began ushering people out and made a quick sweep as we could while the, you could still barely see that we had everybody out of the office. Mm. And of course, you didn't know until later what the, the toll was That's correct. Uh, on the Pentagon. How many people were lost? A total between the airplane and what was in the Pentagon was about 189 people. Okay. And then many more injured, of course. Oh, many more. Well, all right, Tom, you are my brother in the Lord. You're now a pastor. You're even taking seminary courses That's in correct. greater D.C. in your second career that God has given you. At what point did you have time to even stop and think, Lord, what in the world is going on here? Well, between what happened in New York City and what happened at the Pentagon, I had called my wife, who's a Christian school teacher, and just uh, informed her what was going on. And we did some praying, and I just prayed for just how the reaction would be from all those young children who would see this uh, played over and over again mm -hmm. on television, and just also for the safety of them, being so co-located with Washington, D.C. area. Uh, so we just spent some time praying and just said, Lord, I know you're in complete control. Uh, we just don't understand now. Just help me to be brave. Help me to make the right decisions and to take care of the people that you've given me supervision over here at the Pentagon. Mm. I know you've been bold in your faith. You don't mind telling people you're a believer in Christ. Were there opportunities then in the days after 9-11 and maybe even on 9-11 to just share the love of Jesus Christ with people that needed that love. Absolutely. You know, what I witnessed on the 11th of September was an incredible cry out both at the Pentagon and then watching it on television and in, uh, in New York City and even what we saw occur um, in the skies over Shanksville, Pennsylvania. There were many people reaching out for somebody to show them the way. Why is this happening? I need somebody to lead. And in my view, it was an incredible opportunity for the believers, the Christians around the country and around the globe to stand up and say, let me show you the truth. Let me give you an understanding of what real leadership is, is about and who is in complete control of this world mm -hmm. when obviously man desires to rain destruction upon one another. Yeah, we live in an evil world, don't we? Absolutely. But we serve a God that's more powerful. The Amen. strong man, the strong man Jesus has come. Tom, you've had a lot of water go under the bridge, and in a sense, 9-11 was you hitting a brick wall, but God takes us through these things, doesn't he? He does. There are a lot of people that are hitting brick walls. You got some advice for us right now? Let me just jump back to 9-11 for just sure. a brief second, and uh, what I witnessed uh, both at the Pentagon and what I saw and read accounts of people in New York City, the firemen and the rescue men that went into those burning buildings, they were willing to lay down their life for another. And I've used that experience that I had up close and personal to watch people do that and have them take part of some of that myself as an example for what their Savior did for them. That while they were yet sinners, Christ willingly laid down his life for them. 
They could do nothing to help themselves, similar to the people at the Pentagon or in the World Trade Centers. But those men and those women ran into those buildings to help them, and that's what Christ has done for them in laying down his life. And all they need to do is reach out and grab the hand or grab their Savior who willingly knocks at their door and says, let me come in, let me offer you some peace. I have the keys to understanding and all knowledge. Let me offer that to you. And so I've been able to use that many times, that analogy, mm -hmm. to be able to share with people their real need for the Savior because they don't know if today may be their last day like some of those people on 9-11 faced. Well, that's Nobody right. ever knows. It's not that we need to be scared of terrorists, is it? Not it's, at all. It's just there is terror in the world, the evil that yeah. exists. Absolutely. Uh, but God is stronger, and of course, Jesus Christ reigns. And uh, we forget. We look at the work and the acts of Satan, and uh, we tend to forget that uh, our God is bigger. And he's already accomplished so much by sending his son to die mm -hmm. for our sins. Mm -hmm. Would you mind if I asked you to just pray for Haven Today listeners and some people going through whatever their brick walls are right now, but they need a Savior to carry them through. Would you mind praying for all of us right now? It would be an honor. Let's pray. And Father, we just thank you for uh, your sovereignty. We thank you that you are in complete control, that despite all the things that man can do for evil, you are a God of love and a God of good. And there's nothing that can separate us from you. Not a terrorist, not a hijacker, not anthrax, not any other created thing, the scripture says, can ever separate us from the love of God. And so, Lord, I know there are some listeners out there today who are struggling, and they feel very distant from you, and they're concerned, and they're fearful. And may you come alongside them in a special way like they've never felt before. May you bring others in their path who will share with them how they can enter in a relationship for eternity with you. And Father, just give them the strength to get through today, knowing that they have a Savior that loves them and willingly lay down his life for them. We just lift them up to you now, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Pastor Tom Joyce and everyone else we shared today. Despite the pain and the suffering, they were able to see the Lord's hand at work. As we take time this weekend to remember the tragic events that took place on that fateful September 11th, may these stories of hope serve as a reminder to us all that Christ is there with us in the good times as well as the bad. For we worship the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Great Stories with Charles Morris. As always, if you were blessed by what you heard, please leave a review. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, but you can also go to haventoday.org to sign up for our weekly email and discover our other episodes posted on the blog. Thank you for joining me once again on Great Stories with Charles Morris. Mm -hmm.